Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. All right, uh, good morning C4 family. Really glad that you're here on this really dark and damp fall day. Thanks for making it out. Glad you're here. Want to say again hi to everyone watching online today, whether you're in Canada, the States, around the world. We're glad you're deciding to join us here at C4. If you've got your Bible this morning, I'd love you to turn to the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 19 this morning. And like we say, if you've got it physically or virtually, that's great. Uh, we promote one app specifically called Version. It's an excellent app that you can download even here today, Version, and may help you as we explore uh, the scriptures today. Uh, this is week four in our, our fall series called Believe. As I've said before, our theme for the whole year is Believe, but specifically we're in week four of our first series called Believe where we're exploring in depth what do we as Christians hold at the center of our faith? What do we believe? The first week, if you recall, whether you were here or virtually joining us later, I, I've preached this. We, we believe in a personable personal, knowable, holy, loving God, right? This is what we believe as Christians. We believe that we get to know this holy, loving, personable God and move from a place actually of danger, a place of deserved wrath and sin and spiritual death and supernatural bondage actually to a life abundant and to eternal life when we choose to embrace, when we accept the work of Jesus by trust, by faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus alone. We also believe, though, that if we reject Jesus, we're actually condemned already because we are willingly choosing to say no to the only one that can save, redeem, deliver, recover, is provide escape, or rescue us. Like I said a few weeks ago, the most famous verse in the whole world, and has been for generations and actually for centuries, was written by Jesus' best friend, John. And, and after this series, we're going to get into a new series out of the book of John. And it's John 3.16. We always say, you know, you see it on Twitter, you see it at every football game. But most people don't keep reading past verse 16. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and what? Only son. That whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. I love verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Our God is not out to destroy the world. He's not a condemning God. He is a loving God. And he say, his goal is to, to save the world through Jesus. That is the heart of God. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We believe in God. We believe in good news that God has not left us to our own devices. We, we believe that there's good news, that, that there is actually coming a day when he's going to come back. We believe good news that we're not just random mistakes from the universe. We believe the good news that history is not just going by itself. There is someone orchestrating a better thing. Also last week we gathered together, well some of us did, half of you were recovering from Turkey I suppose. But we gathered and we get, began to hear and began to, to pray out this other thing. That not only do we believe in God, and not only do we believe in the good news, and not only do we believe in Jesus, but we also hold as Christians and hold it up high. We believe in the lordship of Jesus in the Christian life. 
once we've met Jesus, once we believe that he really is in our lives, we willingly are called to let him be king and master and leader. That is being a willing slave to Jesus. Why? Because he is the one who will take us to places that we can't go by ourselves. He's the one that will begin to teach us that it's about God's glory and we can't handle God's glory, so we don't need it. He begins to show us that he's going to continue to set us free from the things he has positionally saved us from. We believe. We know with confidence as Christians that we can call on God to bring the lordship of Jesus into a Christian life, into a family that's dedicated to Christ or a church. Like I jokingly said last week, very few things can you name and claim, but you can name and claim the lordship of Jesus over Christians. We believe this with our whole heart. But now the question is, what's next? What do we now believe God is up to? What do we believe God wants to do in our region? This is significant. What do we believe? See, this is like when the book of Ruth, remember when I talked about sovereignty and providence? Sovereignty means God is in control. Providence is when God enacts his sovereignty down here. Providence is what is God actually doing today at this moment? This is now the question for today and next week. Yes, we believe in a knowable God. Yes, we believe in the good news. Yes, we believe in lordship. But now we have to wrestle with what is this God who we presumably know and love, what is he up to around us? Let me take a moment to paint a picture. I don't want any one of us sitting here or online this morning to have our heads in the sand. I know it's easier sometimes, but it's not Christian to do that. Let me describe our region to you this morning. We live in a place called Durham, which is connected to a place called Toronto. We are part, technically, of the GTA. There's 5.5 million people in our greater city. It's heralded as one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And I love this. It is ranked one of the safest large metropolitan cities to live in in North America. Isn't that amazing? No, that deserves an amen. It's amazing. We live in an awesome city that's safe compared to most cities in North America. In our city, 140 languages and dialects are spoken every day. 30% of people living in the GTA speak another language at home other than English and French. 30% of all immigrants to Canada uh, live here or end up here. Half of the city's population in Toronto Formal was born outside of Canada. Can I say that again? Half of Toronto wasn't born in Canada. In 2006, half of all immigrants to the city have lived in our city for less than 15 years and have lived in Canada for less than 15 years. Now, this is when it gets interesting for us this morning. This is a statistic from 2001. So the number I'm about to give you is way higher today than it was then. Statistics Canada indicated that over 1 million people, that is Toronto's residences, residents, were Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Sikh, non-religious, or non-Christian. One out of five people that you go to work with and are your neighbors and friends either worship another God or don't want to do anything with God at all. And I can tell you now the number is way higher in 2012. In 2005, everyone ready? Hand, heads out of the sand. Statistics Canada reported in 2005 that one in three Canadians, 
over the age of 15 have, ready, never gone to any form of a religious service in their life. One out of three people you know have never done what we're doing this morning. They've never done Christmas Eve. They've never, they've never done it. One in three people you walk by at the mall. One in three people in the building you work at. One in three people have never had a formal religious experience in their life. In 2011, the BBC did a huge report studying the future of formal religion in the West. And they begin to ask the question, is there coming a day where there will be an extinction of formal religion? As they started to do this, they found a major report that actually cited that there is nine countries on their way to have no formal religion left. And guess what, everyone? We're in the top nine. Heads out of the sand. And then let's talk about Durham. This is a great place to live. It's beautiful, it's safe, we've got a lake. But behind all the suburban cars and homes and grass and trees, let's just be honest this morning. There's a lot of secrets going on in a lot of homes that look really nice in Pleasantville, isn't there? A lot of marriage issues going on. A lot of marriage breakdown these days. Durham has a major drug problem. Ask any cop. Drugs, make no mistake about it, they hurt people. They hurt families. They break up neighborhoods. Spiritually, not only do we have all the other faiths here, just like Toronto, but we have huge and vast amounts of our friends and our family now involved in their own combination of spiritual ideas. They go to chapters and they cherry pick and they invent what they think feels right for today. Many, many more. Listen closely, friends. They may believe in God or a force or something out there, but the truth is they are practical atheists. Who needs to pray for daily bread? We've got Loblaws, everybody. Most people in Durham, even if they're religious, do not live their life like God is involved or exists. They are not philosophic atheists, but their life proved that they are. And of course, there are many people intellectually who have gone there. Not only that, Durham is an interesting place because there's a whole other swath of people that actually interact with us all the time. They're nominal Christians. They're people that have not personally repented and, and come to faith and made Jesus Savior and Lord. They're Christian in name only. They can be very religious or, or non-practicing. They give some intellectual assent. Jesus is a good guy or yeah, he's the son of God. Maybe they go to church twice a year. They do the holly lily thing, Christmas, Easter. They, they may go to church every week. They may never ever go to church. But you know, they have family that does or did. Here's the key thing scholars say. They have Christian memories. But they're not believers. Now, I love our city. I really do. But the great privilege of being in 40 countries, and I'll tell you something, I'd want to live here over anywhere else I've traveled. And I'm so glad that we're a country that is kind and nice and prosperous and not violent. And even with all our ups and downs, I'm so glad that we're a country that opens its arms to people that are in trouble around the world. But deeper than that, I am so glad that God is bringing the nations to us. Touch Toronto, touch the world in a second. Why? Because the world has been sovereignly brought here. You got a problem with immigrants? Change your attitude. Why? Because we're Jesus people here. We're not politicians. 
this is the moment in time that God has placed us. So the question is this. What is God asking of us? It's not a mistake if you're a Christian that you're here. It is not a mistake that our church is part of the GTA. It's not a mistake that we're placed on the east side of Toronto. It is not a mistake that the people that make up C4 at this moment in our history are actually here. The question now before us is this. Beyond what we are believing God to do in our own personal families with lordship and in our church that is expecting a genuine move of God, what are we believing the living God of heaven and earth to do in Durham? What are we expecting the living God to do in the east of the GTA, in the region, and let me say this, that we have been assigned. You think that you're here because you got moved for a job? No, no, let me tell you something. God in his providence decided that you were supposed to be here for a reason. So here's the question. What will our region look like? What does a regional change look like when God shows up in power? What would an awakening look like when one and then ten and then a hundred, then five hundred, then a thousand, then thousands begin to encounter Jesus as God the Father calls them and the Holy Spirit gives them faith and sight and life? And in the middle of this, how do we not lose our spiritual identity as Christians and compromise and at the same time not give in to the old Christian temptation to not truly live in the region thinking that if we isolate ourselves, that will help us keep our spiritual identity? There are many great passages in the Word of God that tell us and inform us in this conversation, but there is one passage, Acts 19, that begins to give us such great insight into what happens when God really shows up, not just in a life, but in a region. This is a place where few people knew God or knew about the true living God. It was a region that was diverse and dark and desperate, just like ours. Book of Acts, chapter 19. The account that we're about to read is unusually full. It is vivid in detail. Paul is in a city in now what we call Turkey. It's called Ephesus. It was on the coast, just off the coast, and now modern Turkey. The city was known for being a city of learning and money and multiculturalism. Sound familiar? It was also a very uh, intense city when it came to spirituality. Actually, it was the ancient center of magical art. In those times, as I preached this in 2007, in those times, if, if you practiced magic or involved in formal religion in any type, ritual or, or anything, you would actually buy documents, and all the documents were called the Ephesian Scrolls. So in, in our context, if you're American, I'll translate it. If you went to Barnes & Noble, or if you went to Amazon.com, or if we went to Chapters Today, and you went to the New Age section, the Religion section, the Self-Help section, and the Occult section, they would all have one name in the ancient days. The Ephesian section. That's what it would be. That's why we shouldn't be shocked when you read the book of Ephesians that Paul spends so much time talking about spiritual conflict because this is the heartbeat of the occult in the ancient world. Clinton Arnold, one scholar, says this, the devotees in this area worshipped a god named Artemis. And they so feared the demonic realm and they also were so afraid of fate 
that they believed that this goddess had more power than both of them. And they were involved in mixing astrology and magic arts. And they were involved in things called mysteries where they do these secret rituals that were, well, quite bloody at points. And, and, and so the whole, catch this, the whole city was surrounded and given their allegiance to Artemis. The culture and the region was connected to the worship of this thing. But as the influx and influence of Christianity began, right here in Acts 19, it eventually brought down the whole cult and it got removed forever. Regional transformation. Now I want to start this way this morning. Paul believed that God actually loved the world. Paul believed with his whole heart that God loves people. Paul believed that God also loved cities. And so he would go into cities and he would live in them. There is no room for isolation and fortress mentality in the Christian movement. We don't run, we live. Paul lives in the city. And as he'd move into a city, he'd try to find common ground. Those that there were natural bridges. And so for us in our community here, it would be nominal Christians because we could talk about Jesus and they'd have some understanding or maybe there's a Bible in their home. For him, it was the Jewish local synagogue. And so if Paul showed up in Toronto today, I guarantee you he'd go to Bayview Avenue and he'd start hanging out in synagogue. And so Paul shows up and it says in verse 8 these words. Paul entered the synagogue. And spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He boldly preaches. He persuasively gives the good news. The good news is connected to the all-consuming idea of the kingdom of God. Now let me just say this, because this is our Believe Year and Believe Series. If you want to understand Jesus, and understand Genesis to Revelation, and understand your faith, or the one you're checking out, you have to have a clear understanding of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not the nation of Israel, past or present. Never has been. The kingdom of God is not the church. Sorry, everyone, we don't get the title. You are not the kingdom of God, and I most definitely am not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is any space or place where the reign and rule of God is welcome and lived under. The kingdom of God is any space or place. And so that's why Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is in you. Why? Because when you became a Christian, if you are one, and you said, I accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, your heart became the place where the kingdom of God showed up because you want the reign and will of God in your life. At the end of time, all things will be the kingdom of God because creation, humanity, the angelic, all things will be made right and everything will be restored and the kingdom of God will be everywhere. Good day, won't it be? It will be a good day. But the kingdom of God now is found right here. And so he begins to actually preach. So the question, how do people join the kingdom of God? Back to week one and two. How do you come into the sphere of God's reign and rule? How do you gain relationship? The answer is accepting Jesus into one's life as savior and leader. The good news of Christianity is that God bent down. That God put on skin and became one of us and lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve, overcame sin, death, and the demonic, and now clears a way back to a holy God, though we don't deserve it. Paul was coming and saying to these people, the kingdom of God is here, and you have all the holy history, and then says to them, by the way, it's free. And they go, no, 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 you don't understand. We have to impress God. We need to work for God. What do we do so God likes us more? And he says, no, no, no. You take away from the scandal of the gospel 
when you start saying you have to earn it. Can I say that again? You will always take away from the scandal of the gospel when you start believing you have to earn God's love. It's grace alone. It's faith alone. It's not by works. Works come after the relationship. They are acts of love. They're not acts of entrance. Then and today, people believe of all stripes of religious backgrounds and even spiritual backgrounds, that you get to know God by what you do. Pray five times a day. Go to church. uh, Say confession. Burn more incense at this idol. Uh, You must meditate. You must be nice to people walking across the street. You must, you must, you must. No. Michael Green wrote, Religions tell you you must do something. But our movement tells us that God has done something. And he did it through Jesus on the cross when his hearers wanted to know what they should do in light of Paul's preaching. He told them to do, everyone ready? Nothing. But rather receive what God had given. He sketched a picture of God approaching them with gifts in hand. Gifts they could, of course, never earn. So what were the results after three months of pleading and talking and debating and Starbucks coffees? Here it is. Some believed, but some sure didn't. Some became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly started maligning the way. That is the Christian movement. So Paul left them. Thanks so much. I'm out. And he took his disciples next door to the daily lecture hall of Tyranius. Now, here's the point. It says that some of these people became obstinate. Obstinate in, in the original language means hard-hearted. You see this in Pharaoh and in God's people in history. Hard-heartedness does not mean God walks in with his finger and goes, and now hard-hearted. Hard-heartedness is a scary idea where the living God of heaven and earth says, you don't want me. No, I don't want you. Are you sure? Because it's free. I do not want you. Fine. And he takes his hands of protection off and lets us go down a path that is naturally us and we end up far, far, far away from him. Some people became hard-hearted. And so Paul said, I've done due diligence and I'm now going to go outside. So he takes them to a local lecture hall. He moves from basically a local church building to a local known building so more and more could hear. See, he was never going to let ethnicity or church walls stop him. It's sort of like he moved into a club or something. How interesting. Uh, It's the whole point that they move out and nothing will be a barrier. And there's no running away here. Notice this is a long-term commitment. Not only three months has he actually stayed here. Read the next verse. He did this for two years. And then it says amazingly, verse 10, all the Jews... And all the Greeks who lived in Ephesus, no, no, the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the Jews and non-Jews, rich, poor, religious, cultic, political, non-political, slaves, they all suddenly heard in ancient Turkey about Jesus. Not just Ephesus, the whole region. Attention, C4, attention. Do you believe that the whole GTA or all of Durham have heard the word of the Lord yet? Do you believe that they have heard the explicit gospel we talked about two weeks ago? Lots of people have heard about Jesus, but do they know their spiritual condition? Has anyone ever sat down and told them the great news, but also the bad news and the profound news? Do they know? The answer is no. Thousands and thousands of people around us do not know the good news. And if you presume they do, it is spiritual malpractice. Paul said in Romans 10, 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one who they have not heard of? How can they hear if someone doesn't preach to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? Blessed or beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good, what? News. Don't presume 
that this is 1955 in Canada. It's 2012. It's post-Christian. It's dark. It's post-modern. And people don't know about Jesus anymore. But there's more. Not only does Paul preach, but something else happens. He ties something to preaching. It's something we've been rediscovering at C4 since 2007. See, preaching and the miraculous go hand in hand. See, our city, like I just pointed out, our region is full of people from other faiths. And we're glad they're here. And they're, they're filled with people who are semi-spiritual. And acts of God will be received by them. See, they're going to show up in your life and say, so you know God. Like, really, the God of heaven and earth, the creator, all things. Okay, I'd love to see him work. What are you going to do? Call me? I'm sorry. No, seriously. This isn't about expertise or phoning clergy or staff. No, people are going to start saying, well, then, does your God actually do anything? Or is it just intellectual for you? See, what we see in the book of Acts is that we see preaching and miraculous working together and they begin to open doors. Jesus' life, Peter, Paul's life, through the spiritual gift series, we begin to see that the miraculous deliverances and healings, they never replace preaching, but they're the handmaiden of preaching that prepares people for the authentic meeting of God. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to sick people and their illness was cured and evil spirits left them. Can you imagine at C4? By the way, the, the, the hankies is not like what you've seen on television. $29.95, please. On Judgment Day, those people are in trouble. This was actually pieces of tent because Paul was a tent maker. So these are pieces of old Coleman tents he's building. And they're actually his sweat rags. Anyone want my sweat rags? Woo! You know, like, they're not sexy. And they're taking everything that they can, and suddenly people are getting healed, and people who've been demonized their whole life are set free. And, and people, we go, well, I'm not comfortable with this. This is, this is like really like a carnival. Well, guess what, everyone? When God shows up, he wants to meet people where they're at, not where we're at. Our comfortability isn't worth their eternity in hell, right? See, this is what's happening in this culture these people are acting in simple faith. They only know certain ways to act, and so they are supernaturalists. And so they think, well, if, if I take an item from this person who maybe knows this living God, maybe, oh, it worked. I have to now believe. People touched Jesus' clothing, and they were healed. Acts 5, Peter's shadow healed someone when he walked by. It's not because Peter or Paul are so profound. It's because God's sovereignty will choose to meet anyone at any time and any place to bring his son home into their hearts. Here's the point. We have to be prepared for the miraculous. And if comfortability is out the window, when the living God shows up, it is not organized, it is messy, it is crazy, but it brings life and always it is God-glorifying. Never forget, Paul wasn't throwing hankies into the crowd. Paul was teaching about Jesus. From years of being in the region, preaching, signs and wonders, and oh, can I say this? Faithful, boring, lordship lives. We begin to see the real changes take place in a region. A region being moved from transformation, from, from darkness to light. And so we're getting excited. It's like we're watching a great movie. We're, we're ready. And then in the midst of this, it's like there's suddenly this other story and we're moved over here. But I'm so glad it's here. Because the next few verses actually are the heartbeat of what I'm trying to teach our community. What happens in the next few verses brings everything home for us. The difference between knowing about and knowing him for real. 
In the midst of all this amazing things, Acts uh, Acts 19.13 reads like this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus too over those who were demonized. And they would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, by the way, this wasn't uncommon. Just history matters, everyone. In the Ephesian writings, if you read the scrolls, they regularly say that you should go to a Jewish leader to get demons cast out of you. Why? Because they knew a God that seemed to work better than all the others. Hmm. So Jews, religious leaders, those who knew, interesting, Yahweh, were actually the best exorcists in their day. And so this is being played out normally. Except now, this other Jew named Paul is claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. They go, well, it's working, so uh, let's try this. So they they begin to confront demons with Jesus' name. But do you see it? They're invoking Jesus himself without actually knowing him. It's like nominal Christianity in a different way. It's like turning on a lamp and yet not being plugged into the power source. Like I said in 2007, it's like this. It's like saying to the lamp, lamp? You must turn on now because I know about electricity, wall sockets, and plugs. Go. I mean, that's the heartbeat of what's happening supernaturally. It's believing in someone or knowing about them but not knowing them. Back to first week. Christian understanding of belief is not intellectually, I think he is out there. It is reliance, confidence, trust, relationship. They make a fatal mistake. See, they thought they could use Jesus like magic. Actually, they were okay with living Jesus, having Jesus on the outside, but not on the inside. Oh, I've seen that before in church. It's religion, not relationship. It's manipulation, not servanthood. It's power, not meekness. Well, the people doing it, they were seven sons of Sivica, sons of a Jewish high priest. And, and, and one day, the evil spirit actually talked back to them. Well, Jesus, I know, and I know Paul. Um, who, who are you? During one of the encounters, the demon speaks back directly with mockery and hellish fury and evil and says, I challenge you to use the name you're using. Everything changed. See, the evil spirit, of course, knows that these seven have crossed the line. Why? Because they can actually see into them. And the spirit of God is not there, and the work of Jesus is not there, and the cross isn't there, and the predestination power of the Father is not there, and the redemption of the Holy Spirit is not there, and the spiritual gifts aren't there, and the spirit says... I know about Jesus. Side note, he's my creator. Paul, we're really angry at right now. And who are you people again? At that moment, that demon or group of demons empowered this poor, this poor person and got such power and rage that it says in 16, the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. One against seven. And it got so intense, these grown men are bit and scratched, and they're bleeding, and they're running out naked, butts and all, running out. And everyone, of course, is going to know about this, because the family, of course, has asked them to come in and do this. So the family witnesses this, and probably it's a community thing, so the neighbors are there, and the people that thought they could do it are totally beat up, and everyone goes, what just happened? See, they didn't really believe. They didn't understand. But here's something that most pastors forget to preach. Everyone focuses on the power of the demons or the people getting beat up. Just stop. Our movement's about people. The guy's still in the room. The guy's still demonized. His family isn't free. He's not free. He's still broken at the deepest level because people thought they could use Jesus without knowing him. Don't miss the victim in the story. The victim is the lost person. 
his family and the tragedy of that. Well, interesting, God always takes dangerous things and makes them for his glory. When this became known, verse 17, to the Jews and Greeks living in all of Ephesus, they were, interesting, seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. See, when they understood that Jesus was more powerful and his name was more powerful than the very things they feared, Jesus was held in high honor. See, here's the point. This is the testimony of so many people. When God shows up in a powerful way and shows that he is stronger than what people have placed their confidence in, they will change their allegiance through preaching, through Christian presence, through the power of the Lord Jesus, we begin to see Jesus' name lifted up and held in high honor in a pagan city. Do you think Jesus is lifted up and held in high honor in Toronto yet? No way. But here, they magnify the Lord. There's a Christmas connection here. Do you know what Mary says when she finds out that she is God's chosen? She says, my soul, to use King James, doth magnify the Lord. It's the same word here, and now pagans are doing the same thing. Why? Because they actually saw the power of Jesus demonstrated in a bizarre, reversed way. The city begins to change. Then it gets better. Here's the turning point. Here's the boiling point. The water pours over now. It's the tipping point. Here's where revival moves from a regional sort of deal to an awakening where people in the region and the church blend for a season because so many people from so many backgrounds are finally meeting the true living God. It says in verse 18, love this. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. The results of Christians staying and living in the city, living lordship lives, preaching and miracles, as many started believing in Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus crucified and risen. They began to show that their encounter was real, not some fad. What did they do? They confessed their evil deeds. It's what we call repentance. And they did it publicly. I used to do these sexual things. Not anymore. I used to be involved in this religion. I had this world. Not anymore. I'm out. I'm a follower of Jesus now, and I'm telling my family and my friends. I'm telling all my old priests. I'm telling my girlfriend that I slept. No, no. I am now a Jesus person. 19, a number of those who practice sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. They're cleaning up their life and doing it in a public way. You need to get this this morning, C4. It had affected their spiritual worldview. Jesus had so changed them from the inside out, they're willing to throw away a fortune of material. They are publicly declaring that everything they held religiously and civilly was hollow and dead. And here it is, not life-giving. Real conversion is seen in a person's life when their religion, faith, money, sex, and power are all affected. You really want to know if Jesus has changed someone? Then they're going to change what they believe in, who they swear allegiance to, how they relationally deal with others, how they give and use their money, and how they use their body sexually. Jesus shows up and brings the kingdom of God into the everyday life. These people are so transformed, they burn a fortune of material. Let me translate this for you this morning. We go 50,000 drachmas. Greek economy is not good. Enough. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it is. It's 137 years worth of annual wages. Two lifetimes of work burned. They could have sold this 
This is like someone having the largest online pornography collection and realizing it's unbelievably valuable and becoming a Christian and saying, well, I could sell it and give it to the poor. No, burn it. It's going to bring death over there like it brought death to me. And these people are so transformed. They are saying in the middle of their city, this is done. I'm going to give up a fortune. My RSPs that are bound in this, gone. Why? Because I trust Jesus now. See, this is what regional transformation looks like. Verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread wildly and widely, sorry, and grew in power. Christian lives, preaching, authentic miracles, and the power of story. You want to see Durham changed. You really want to see the GTA changed. I I don't mean just conceptually because it feels good as a Christian. I mean really changed. Do you want to see the fabric of homes, the fabric of neighborhoods, the fabric of institutions like local governments? Do you want to see the fabric of regions change? The issues that face us in Durham and the GTA will only change deeply and fully if a human heart gets changed. Let me say that again. Nothing is going to change society at its root. Education, psychology, philosophy, theology. No, no, no. Human hearts need to get changed. Racism, chauvinism, classism, violence, a place where people try to escape from God and his law, places of pride, arrogance, excess, overwork, exhaustion, i.e. Durham, a place of cults and false belief, cities, there's the description. It can only be changed by Jesus moving in and bringing God's spirit into someone's heart. The kingdom of God starts with the love and lordship of Jesus, the will of God on earth. Here's the twittable moment. Ready? A region changes one heart at a time. A region changes one heart at a time. A family changes one heart at a time. An institution changes not one policy at a time. No, never. One heart at a time. And over time, as God willingly moves, the very fabric and, and DNA of a place changes. Why? Because there is a tidal wave of people meeting him. Now here's the question this morning. Everyone ready? Are you actually ready? No, seriously, I'm asking you. They're not. Are you ready? This is significant. Online, say yes in the go train. Huh. Has this happened yet? No. Not even close. We're not just praying for a revival in this church that God has promised us, not because we're good, because he's ordained it. We're not only just praying that God would show up in other churches. We are believing for God for an awakening in our region. A time where people publicly confess Jesus, publicly confess their sin, publicly get rid of those things that are hollow and lacking real life. A time where not 10 or 20, but thousands begin to change and confess Jesus. And as we expectantly wait for that, many of you are not expectant yet. Ask God about that. What are we called to do? Well, the answer, as I end, is this. It actually is probably not maybe what we think. But let me start here. It starts with you and me. It starts with lordship. See, let me bring this back again. You cannot separate what I preached on last week from this week. If you were eating turkey or at a cottage, thank you. God bless you. If you were serving last week, thank you. But I'm saying this. My hat is on as a senior pastor. If you did not hear what I preached on last week, everyone go back and listen. Because you cannot separate what I preached last week from this week. 
The more desperate we are for Jesus to be Lord in our personal lives, in our homes, the more we desire Jesus' yoke, the more loving we will be, the more holy we will be, the more joy-filled we will be, the more power we will have, the more peace-saturated we will become, and this will become the place where people ask questions. We cannot separate personal lordship encounters and church-wide lordship from regional transformation. When Jesus' lordship is welcome. He sets us free. We live for another's glory. Jesus' lordship will change your outlook, how you treat people, who you hang out with, what you love, what you no longer love, and how generous you become. Praying for the lordship in every Christian family or in your own life or in this church will affect this region. Revival lordship is when a season of, of experience happens where the church loves Jesus again. It is a season where C4 will be a community saturated by God. And then the stories will begin to pour out. Personal stories have so much power. Don't believe me? What do you think about the videos from the last six weeks? Do they have power? Of course they do. Lordship is the beginning root of transformation in a region. It starts with you in your devotional times, saying no to sin, praying, living a normal Christian life, because we are the presence of Jesus in Durham. We are the body of Christ in Durham. And if his lordship is not welcomed, there will be no power for regional transformation. Lordship is the root of the whole conversation. Three other things. We have to tell them the whole gospel. Go back and re-listen if you do need to on the other one. Do you believe it? Are you sharing with your friends the good news? Don't try convincing your friends they're not happy. They are. Don't try convincing your friends they're not in love. Listen, they're more happy and joyful than lots of you are here today. That's not the issue. We need to go and tell them the whole gospel, that God is love and holy, that we're in trouble and he's ready to rescue us, but we have to repent. Don't just give them the out version of the gospel. Give them the whole version. Give them the explicit gospel. How will they believe if they have not been told? I'm so tired of people saying, I'll preach the gospel and sometimes use words. No! Live it and say it. Muslims are better at living Christian lives than some of us. We need to be people that are serious about lordship and serious about telling people, sitting down over coffee and saying, can I tell you what happened in my life? Can I tell you the good news of Jesus? We have to start talking again. Lordship, preaching. Expect the miraculous. There's the third one. We have to expect the miraculous. We don't need to fake it. Listen to the old spiritual gifts thing, but we need to be expectant that God Our God is alive. Our God is working. That people are going to be healed when when God decides to do it. And when he does, he'll get all the glory and people will go, what is that? We need to be expectant and begin to see and get excited when people stand up in our church and say, I once was filled with evil and I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And we need to go, I don't know. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. More of this in our region. More, 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 not less. We need to have miraculous things because we believe in a God who's alive and our scientific jaded culture has choked so much of your faith out. Ask God to give you faith for new things in our church and our region. Lordship, the gospel, the miraculous. But here's the last thing. Pray, 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 pray. 
Do you believe that everyone around you is going to a Christless eternity? Do you? Do you believe our neighborhoods are lost without Jesus? Do you really at your heart believe that it's all or nothing when it comes to the gospel? Are you even desperate? Have you even prayed this week for your region, your neighborhood? Have you ever done it as a Christian? Have you become so desperate where you say, oh God, give me Durham or I die? We're not here to play church. If you want to do that, go to another church. We're here to beg God to intervene in a city, in a region that's so dark. If he doesn't show up, we're done. You want to pray this? I'll give you two verses. Worship people. You can come. <laughs> here it is. Pray these two verses. 2 Corinthians 7.10 and Acts 19.17.18. Write it down. By the way, every, take out your phones. Take out your paper. Write these verses down. 2 Corinthians 7.10 and Acts 19. You want to see change? This is what we have to pray. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And I love this. And it leaves what? Say it loud. No regret. And worldly sorrow brings death. You need to go before God even five minutes a day, whether you're doing great or not, and say, oh God, do that here. See, catch it. Without godly sorrow, there'll be no repentance. We need to ask the living God like a wave, like a tsunami, to come across by his spirit across the GTA and our region and bring such godly sorrow. Because when God wounds people like this, he doesn't do it to hurt them. He does it so they're brought to repentance and then they get life. People will never embrace Jesus unless they know they need a savior. They'll never know they need a savior unless God shows up and shows them what trouble they're in. Have you ever prayed, oh God, oh God, oh God, bring godly sorrow on this region so people will mourn and wail and realize they are separated, but then I promise, because you promised you'll bring life. Worldly sorrow brings death. We see it everywhere, but our God wounds us to bring us life. Have you cried this over your family? Have you cried it? And the other prayer is what I've preached on Acts 19. Pray that in your lifetime, in your lifetime, we would see people openly confess their sin and burn things and get rid of all the crap and stand and say, I'm free and I have a new master and his name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. This is all or nothing. And this is the scriptures that teach us that regional transformation is connected to how we live our personal lives, what we tell people, what we pray for, and that we're expectant that our God is not dead and our jadedness is not bigger. And he's going to demonstrate his power by doing miraculous things. Not so C4 gets known or anyone know. So Jesus is encountered. Oh Lord, God of heaven and earth. The same God that did this in Ephesus. The same God that has done this in so many times in history. God, do it again.
you gave us a word before we started this sermon, Lord, where you said by your scripture prophetically that we're not supposed to be afraid because you're going to take our right hand. So I pray that you somehow would translate that to our whole church, that we don't need to be afraid anymore, and that you're going to take our right hand and you're going to lead us no matter how difficult it is and see things happen that we've never seen before. Oh, God, for your glory. Last thing, and I just want to give this as your heads are bowed. I was praying for us last night. For myself and us as a church. And I was given this prompting to end with, where the Lord said, pray this, people, because I will answer this one. Our God desires not to condemn Durham or GTA. He desires to save it through Jesus. Oh God, come. Oh God, come. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to the ministry, visit our website at www.c4church.com. 